Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 307 Podcast. Today's episode is with Greg Armstrong. He was second place out at Mid-State Mile last weekend. We formed a brotherhood through adversity, formed a a relationship that my words can't possibly describe to you. You just have to listen to this episode, get an understanding of who Greg is, where he comes from, and what he does on a day-to-day basis. It's just unbelievable. Listen to this one till the end. Promise you, you'll be blessed. I'm not even going to try to explain it to you right here. Just enjoy it. Soak it in. All right, little housekeeping real quick. Today's episode is brought to you by Exoskin. I used Exoskin almost the entire time out at Mid-State Mile. I had the socks and leg sleeves on for 30 hours. Used those the whole race. I wore the compression shorts for around 24 hours straight without changing. Exoskin is an awesome product, in my opinion. It is the premier fitness apparel on the market. Exoskin's composed of proprietary fabric that actually channels moisture and sweat and salt and all that nasty stuff away from your skin. It has copper fibers woven into the fabric that fights against odor-causing bacteria. These things are built to last every product from Exoskin, from the socks to the shorts to the tops. They're built to last... They're built to function. They're not built to wear out to dinner. They're built to function. And they perform when they need to perform. I'm a huge believer in Exoskin, and I think that's enough said about their product. Trust me, it works. If you want to purchase Exoskin, please go to exoskin.us. That's X-O-Skin. US and use pro code three of seven to get 25% off your purchase until the end of June. Thanks for sponsoring this episode, Exoskin. Our next sponsor is Salty Britches. This is another product that I use for all of my long runs that I used at Mid-State Mile. It is... <clears throat> A anti-chafing cream. You can use this stuff anywhere. You get hot spots, any any troublesome areas. That's how I use it. Just apply a thin layer of this salty britches onto your skin, whatever wherever you have trouble. First of all, stay on top of it. Don't wait for that hot spot to develop. Don't wait until you start feeling it to apply this salty britches. Go ahead, do it before you start your run, take care of it, and you never have to worry about it. It's a great product, guys. It is the only product that I use for anti-chafing. It is far superior to Body Glide, uh, Vaseline, uh, really, in my opinion, anything else on the market. One application is all it takes. One application, and that's going to get you through a good 100 miles. 
a good 24 hours. It works. Thank you, Amy, for putting your heart and soul into creating such an amazing product that keeps us comfortable when we are out on the battlefield of life, performing at our best. If you guys want to buy some salty britches, go to getsaltybritches.com. Follow them on Instagram at getsaltybritches. You won't be disappointed in them either. Uh, they have provided they have provided a pro code for us. I will attach it in the show notes of this episode, um, along with the pro code from Exoscan, along with both the websites and both uh, their Instagram handles, both Exoscan and Salty Bridges. Thank you guys so much. Without further ado, here he is. Mr. Greg Armstrong. Brother Greg, radio check. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Going good, brother. Thank <laughs> Welcome to the 307 Podcast, man. All right. Good to be here. So good thankful to, here. to have you, brother. Um, you know, I was wondering, Greg, would you mind starting us off in prayer, man? Sure. Glad to. Thank you, brother. Gracious Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for just all the blessings of life. Lord, I just want to thank you for Chad and thank you, thankful for his humble spirit and how you're using him just to, to reach out to other people and to represent um, Christ to the world. And uh, Lord, I pray that you continue to bless him. I'm thankful for um, this amazing weekend we had and the, the race, the Mid-State Mile. Lord, it, you have created um, just a, not only an amazing um, earth and just the beauty all around us, but our physical bodies. And even greater than that, the mind that we have. And Jesus encourages us to always renew the mind and uh, to think about ways that we can grow stronger, not only physically and mentally, but also spiritually, Lord, and just the connection of those uh, three components of, of our being. Uh, makes us like you. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to watch over us and uh, bless this time that we have here together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, brother. Um, you know, Greg, I've been fired up for this conversation, man. <laughs> I mean, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, man, and coming on here to share your part of not only the race this past weekend, but who Greg Armstrong is, because he's quite obviously a very special person, a very good runner, a man of God, um, a, a mentor, a teacher, so many things, man. And we're just so thankful to have you, brother. And it's like, where do we start, man? And, and <laughs> you know, my my, I guess my first uh, my first question that I really want to know, Greg, is. Uh, how did you get in to running? What was the, what was the start of, of all of that, brother? Sure. Um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you are, Chad. You've got, I've got a few years on you, but uh, my dad was, I guess, part of that late 70s, early 80s, you know, that running craze with your Nike waffle shoes. And I remember when I was just I was probably five or six, I'd get up. I was always early riser. I'd get up and I'd see my dad strapping on his 
she used to go out and run, you know, do his two or three mile run. And I'd always ask, and you know, can I go with you? He's like, not yet. You know, and then, then a little bit, he'd let me uh, ride my bike while he'd do his morning runs. The sun came up. And then I, I remember that day where he finally let me run with him. And so it's always been a part of my life. And, you know, even at an early age, my dad taught me, a, you know, strong work ethic. Um, we had a family business and, and through work and through running. And you know, he talked about how doing hard things and doing challenging things uh, can be fulfilling and how you grow and you build your character through that. And um, and so that was always kind of part of it. And, you know, and so I always enjoyed running. Um, ran cross country in high school. That's probably a, you know, maybe decent runner, you know, nothing spectacular, never won a race. Um, you know, maybe could have walked on and run at a college, you know, but just not not good enough to really get any kind of scholarship or anything like that. Just continued to run in my 20s, just more just to stay in shape. Um, and then um, I guess it was – I had this – I used to do triathlons back when I was in high school, and I'd always thought about doing an Ironman triathlon. And then, you know, life kind of comes at you and you get busy with – job and family and you know kind of tabled that goal um and so my set out in my early 30s thought I, you know i want to do an ironman triathlon so i did that for a couple of years and um and then i, I you know saw these 100 mile races and um, did my first 100 mile race in um 2008 the arkansas traveler and i was hooked i was hooked from there i just you know just the scene of that very similar to what we experienced this weekend. You know, I, I finished my last Ironman. I did Louisville Ironman race in September of 2000. I think it was 2007, maybe even 2008. 2008, excuse me. 2008, that was my last Ironman race. And I enjoyed it. I just, I had a, like, a, you know, an $800 racing bike, you know, and just with my, I didn't have the fancy gear and all the, the bells and whistles that a lot of folks had. Um, and so, you know, it was just, it was just different. And then I did that Arkansas traveler. I remember pulling up and all these runners are sitting around the campfire. You've got, you know, some retired military, you've got some truck drivers, you've got hippies, you've got just, I mean, just everybody. And they're just having this great time. And then during the race, just the camaraderie, I mean, you're battling, you're competing, but everybody's encouraging, you know, you build friendships just like, you know, we did this past weekend and I was, that's the scene that I wanted to be a part of. And so that was, I guess that's kind of the start and what kind of got me into ultra running. That's a great story, Greg. And, you know, <clears throat> I can relate to that. Uh, at, a, at a young age, my mother was a runner and a triathlete. Very, I guess, similar to your father. She, she didn't run ultras, but she ran regularly. And you talk about work ethic. And, you know, I remember one time, man, she, she, I wanted a new backpack uh, for, for school. And uh, she had an eight-mile loop that she did, and this was maybe middle school. And she said, you come on and, and keep up with me on this eight-mile loop, and I'll buy you that backpack. And that was the – and I kept up with her. And then that, so like like you, at a young age, I realized, man, I kind of have a knack for this. Like, you know, I actually kept up with her, and I enjoyed yeah. it, you know. And um, I don't know, that's, that's really cool. And you talked about another thing, Greg. And before we dig into this weekend's race – I just really want to get a sense for who you are, man, uh, mm -hmm. because you are so special. And you talked about 
um, not having that fancy gear, man, you know, at that triathlon. And I feel like that is just, from what I've seen of you, brother, that's your style. You don't, you, you, uh, I remember seeing your, your, uh, truck parked there at the start line of the race and you've got a it's a what is it an old it's an old suburban right yeah and it's got a wood it's got you you've built a wooden bumper on the back of it you had an old school canoe strapped to the top and um i'm like man this dude right here is legit like (laughs) i love that style man have you always been that way yeah, I mean, I you know, there's, I, I guess, I don't want to deviate too far from the running, but I guess part of my, I don't know if it's a philosophy of life or just, I don't, it's just how I'm, it's just how I'm cut, I guess. I just, I'm a utilitarian. I love, you know, he who cuts his own wood warms himself twice. I like to, you know, make my own things. I, you know, my that bumper, I bet my grand, I live on a farm. It's been our family since the 1700s. That. I would estimate my grandfather probably put, that was a fence post he put in the ground maybe in the seventies. I dug it out of the ground, hewed it down and, you know, and I just thought that'd make a good bumper, you know, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, my wife kind of accused me of being a little uncivilized at times. But um, Whenever I asked her to marry me, she said, only if we can have electricity. So that kind of gives you a little bit of insight of who I am. I went through a period of time when we owned our own business I kind of, you know, you own your own business, you can dress, you can do whatever you want to. My wife calls it my primitive days where I made all my, I made, I didn't make my own pants, but I, the shirt, I got into like brain tan buckskin, the way Native Americans and, you know, would, um, you know, and so I, I made my own shirt out of deer skin and shoes. I almost ran the race in my homemade deer skin used tire sandals, but um, I've got a pair of, I, I love, you know, making my own clothes and, I don't know. So that's, that, that's, I know that's a little side from the running. And so I'm always trying to, you know, as much as possible. I used to do primitive backpacking where you go out and, you know, you, you have to make everything. I climbed Kilimanjaro last year, made my own backpack and, you know, you know, so just that kind of utilitarian, I just get a lot of fulfillment out of that, I guess, if you, you know, just to, to make things and to, and I, I, and I don't know, for me, again, I'll, I'll be brief with this, but I think that um, looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, if you look at spiritual disciplines um, so many times, I think we've condensed that to prayer and scripture reading and don't get, I mean, that's essential, but there's so many more spiritual disciplines, meditation and simplistic living. That's the one that I just find such a connection with God when I can just live a very simplistic life. Um, You know, for me, it's, 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 you know, little sections are here. I love going out backpacking and, and just, you know, just kind of getting yourself, separating yourself from all of the other things that I think can, can cause us distractions uh, in our life. So um, for me, it's a, it's not only a way to fulfill or to, you know, um, but it's also a way for me to connect with God. You know, when I, when I feel like that I'm taking something that he has, that he has made from nature you know, whether it's a tree or whether it's a, you know, a roadkill deer, most of my deer skin come from a roadkill because they don't have a hole in them. It's a perfect hide. Mm-hmm. Something that's going to go to waste and I can fashion that into something to keep me warm or to be functional for my life. I, you know, there's just, I don't know. It's just, it, I guess it's kind of like a farmer maybe that 
you know, gets crops, I think he's going to have a stronger connection to God because he's getting it kind of closer to the source than, you know, for those of us that are always getting our food from Kroger or, you know, from the grocery store. So. Well, brother, by no means do you have to be brief when you go and dig into topics like that, because uh, this is not a running podcast. This is about body, soul, and spirit. This is to glorify God. And that's what this podcast is all about. That's some, that's some solid gold right there, man. And you talk about that simplistic living. It's something that, you know, is, is also important to me. And, um, I've always said, you know, I say quite regularly, if I had a billion dollars tomorrow, I wouldn't change a thing about the way I live my life. And, um, Mm -hmm. just having, if to me, having a simple home, just a structure that I live in, having a simple vehicle, um, you know, that stuff is, is, is extremely important to me too. I don't take it quite to the level that you do. I don't have the same skill sets that you have in that area. But, um, you know, it's a constant, it is a constant, you have to be constantly aware of it, man. You talk about those distractions and, um, you know, social media is a, is a simple one. Social media is a beautiful thing. To me, it's a gift from God in my life. It's, it's allowed me to reach, uh, I mean, we've reached with, with our race this past weekend, we've had uh, somewhere around 700,000 impressions just on my Instagram account. We've reached That's that great. many people. We've been able to, uh, to put out that message of strength uh, and, and endurance to that. So it's a blessing, but you have to be constantly um, aware of it and not allow it to distract you too much from mm-hmm. that simplistic living, man. It's a right. solid nugget right there, brother. Well, and I, 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 sometimes I hesitate to go too far into that because I don't, you know, I, it's, I, I don't think we talk about it enough when we talk about whether it's in church or we talk about our faith, but even there's a, a component of self-denial, you know, I mean, whether it's fasting or, you know, you go through certain disciplines to, to find enlightenment or, and, you know, and to find yourself. And I mean, running's a perfect example of that. I mean, that's, that's, that's what is my, there's so much that I learned about myself in these races and I learned about God and, you know, and, and, and that's so biblical, you know, Paul talks about, you know, it's, it's only when I'm weak where I really can find the Lord's strength, you know, and it's through those moments of weaknesses. And so I, you know, and I'm constantly, I, I just, and I think this journey, we're always growing. I mean, I'm, I guess, statistically on the backside of my <laughs> existence on the, on this planet, but, um, you know, I want to continue to grow, you know, as, as long as we, as long as I can. Um, you know, I started on my, I, I make kind of birth, I always kind of reassess my life on my birthday. Uh, I guess another little nugget to that component. And um, my, part of my goal, that simplistic living for a year, and, I, and I'll do certain sections and I'll probably change it up next year. But for a year, I wanted to live off of what, someone would live off of on snap program, like formerly food stamps. Right. Just, and, and part of it is, and and, then eat healthy. I'm pretty much vegetarian for the most part. My wife fixes some fish. I'll eat that, but, um, eat clean and healthy, but do that off of, you know, $4 and 20 cents a day. Um, 
you know, I like to have a dinner date with my wife every now and then. So I've not, I really got to get it down to about 350 so we can go out on a date here and there. But, um, and, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's completely possible, but you got to be super deliberate and you got to be purposeful, you know, and, um, and, and part of that whole concept is I've been really praying to God and really trying to dedicate my life to be more of a contributor to the world instead of a consumer of it. And then that's so holistic, whether that's, you know, just trying to find glory for myself and, and maybe it's more about giving glory to God and giving glory to other people and lifting other people up from an environmental standpoint. Um, you know, I try all of that's one th- I'm people laugh about the water bottle and things like that from the race, but you know, I don't hardly use any single use plastic. The only time I use plastic single use plastic is if I have to go to Africa, if I'm traveling abroad, you just don't have clean water. Um, but all of my trash, I save all my trash and it's got to fit in a oak container each month. <laughs> which is, it's just, an, again, I know, and sometimes I hesitate going into that because people think, man, this guy's weird. And you may be thinking that, I don't know, you know, but it's just, those are just ways. I'm not trying to make some huge statement. It's just a way for me to be very purposeful and deliberate with my life. And, and, and just kind of, like you said, you got to really contemplate on, am I contributing to this world or am I just a consumer of it? And to me, that's, man, that's so huge. And, and in our human nature, I mean, we're designed to just consume, consume the glory and get more money so we can do this or do that. But um, that's not that's not what when we were created in God's image. I mean, that's not what we're on this earth to do. I, I think I think we're on this earth to be a contributor. And so those are just, I guess, various ways that I try to discipline myself to be more of a contributor than a consumer. I think that's something that we can all reflect upon in our own lives i feel like that's a that's an immediate actionable takeaway that anybody listening to this can use is to uh, to take a moment today and uh sit down close your eyes and 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 think about that what what are you what are you doing to be more of a contributor than a consumer i mean that's an amazing challenge for anybody that's listening to this. And you don't have to go, you don't have to try to start on the level Greg is at. You can yeah. you can start with something small. You can start with one thing and just build upon that. And right. and that, you know, that's the way everything, that's a principle of nature. That's the way everything works. You gotta start, you gotta cross that threshold and, and make that commitment and and then get it rolling. And then build upon it. So, you know, that's actionable takeaway. I'm going to sit down and do that today in my own life, Greg. Um, and to stick with this uh, this topic right now of simplicity, you know, Jesse asked me last night when he heard you were coming on the podcast. He was so fired up, man. And uh, He's great, man. I'm telling you, man. He's I went back and watched all those videos. I mean, hey, a little shout out to Jesse. I it's rare that you can find individuals because he's a talented, I don't know him that well as you do, but he's obviously got talent himself. But I have to give a shout out. It's obvious that that man takes genuine joy in the accomplishments of others. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and he that's, I, and that it's hard. There's a lot of people that just are incapable of doing that. I work with a lot of young people and I'm constantly telling them, you know, that's a unique trait. So I, I got to give a shout out to them because, man, he was, and not only, and I, I know he was there for you and he was elated, like 
for you to have success. But also got that feeling that he was he was happy for me. And I don't even know him. Just to see other people, you know, succeed and to, you know, just to see someone with that, you know, it was just all over his face and all over his mannerisms. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I thought that was incredible. So well, that, we'll that, shout out to Jesse. Man, that video of you coming across the, the, uh, finish line on your last lap there it changed that i'm telling i'm telling you right now brother you will probably never realize the impact of that 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 one minute clip we will never realize it it changed a lot of people's lives it made every one of us realize that we had more we 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 could we can give more uh that's what that did, and we'll talk through that in a minute, man. But Jesse wanted me to ask about your uh, diet, specifically on uh, on race day. Um, I okay. think we were all astounded. I saw a post the other day. It said, uh, if you want to take nutritional tips from the uh, elites, uh, and it had a picture of you laying down with a bottle of corn syrup and a picture of me putting a dip of Copenhagen in it. So, Copenhagen and corn syrup. Yeah, That's man. all you need, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> just give us a little rundown on on uh, on how you how you feel yourself during these during these big events, man. You know, I guess you know my dad ta- always taught me that sometimes your greatest strengths can become a weakness. You know, one thing I love about the journey of ultra running is I love just experimenting with the human body. You know, like what the body and so. And, and sometimes that's a, it's a great thing because you can find new ways and, you know, and, and, you know, but then there's that saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But sometimes I like to just try new things and just see, that's why I like, you know, I may go through a period, I'm not trying to make some statement with, you know, being a vegetarian or whatever, or vegan, but I just want to see how that affects my body. I've, I've, I've done the keto or, you know, being a little bit more fat adaptive. Um, honestly, this was one of the first races that I've done where I've tried to be moderately fat adaptive. And I don't know people that don't know about that. You just kind of, this. it's similar to ketosis, but it's a little different for the ultra athlete. You're still going to take in some carbs because you just need that energy boost. But if you're more fat adaptive, the, the idea is you don't have to eat as much and you're fueling off. I mean, all of us, even somebody with 6% body fat, I mean, you, Technically, you have enough energy in your body to fuel yourself through an ultra marathon. It's just, you know, you, your, your brain is sending those signals that you've got to eat. And then, you know, that's a little more complex. But um, for this particular race, it, it, I guess it was not 100% accurate. The, the, the corn syrup bottle that you set that, that you see in the, in, the, in the videos, that bottle I used to make my own special concoction of gel. It goes back to that same concept of, I mean, and I'm not, no offense to anybody. I don't know. I know you may have some sponsors that are with your jails, and I love the jails, and they're great. But if you look, most of them are rice syrup, right? Maybe some flavors and some, um, you know, and you know, you've got some electrolytes, yeah, right. Um, and they cost what dollar, dollar and a half each. Yeah, I can buy a whole. I know. I think it's like a maybe close to 28 ounces bottle of corn syrup for, I think it was a dollar 17. I get that. I don't even get the Cairo brand. I get the knockoff brand of corn syrup, throw a little salt in there, 
a little vanilla. It's I think it's already got vanilla flavor in it. it tastes just like a vanilla um, goo. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, that's probably, I don't know, what's a, a goo's like three ounces? Might like be. That. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. So I've got nine, you know. So, again, the money aspect of it there. But mm-hmm. I, my, my concoction is what I fueled off of primarily. I mean, I, I cheated a little bit. I got some of the pizza bites from the aid station, and I got a watermelon here and there. But that was, I would say, 90% of my calories was a, this special goo that I make. If you, they have, I had them in these little flasks. They're pretty big flasks that I, I just take a toke on it every couple of laps. It's um, – one part, one part peanut butter. I get natural Kroger peanut butter that's all, already kind of liquidy. One part peanut butter. I've got about um, maybe a half part. Uh, well, I'd say it's about thirty percent peanut butter, twenty percent corn syrup, and then the rest of it I'll put in olive oil. Um, and so you've got lots of fats, and then I'll throw in some salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I want to flavor it, I may grind up some ginger or something like that. I, I like, you know, different flavors, you know, I can kind of have, play around with that. So if you, if you break it down, it's, it's probably going to be like 60% fat, you know, maybe 30% protein. And it's only going to be about 10% of, of sugar. Um, I did, you know, the, the corn syrup later on the race, that was kind of my comfort food. You know, if I wanted to just, I did cheat, I call that cheating a little bit. I don't feel like I really had to. I just, you know, sometimes at the end of the race, you just, sometimes you just, you know, you want something a little sweet or whatever. So but that's, that's primarily what I fueled off of. And the bottle that was sitting there was just what was left over after I made my special concoction. There you go. That's amazing, brother. I never, <laughs> I never seen nothing like that in my life at a race, man. But man, you want to talk about cost efficient? You want to talk about, uh, you know, having the perfect mixture of what your body needs? Um, uh, you, I mean, you can't really top it. And I'll agree with you hundred percent on the gels, man. The the gels to me are all all a gel is that I buy from the store a goo gel. It's an emergency. So mm-hmm. you'll notice on those last laps, I had a couple gels stuck in my waistband. That was just in case I had, I hit this, I, you, you hit a wall sometimes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times yep. that gel will pull you through that low spot. That's all yep. the gels are for me, man. So uh, um, I, I try to eat as much real food as possible. And for this race, I fueled primarily with fruit. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've never done that before. A lot of times I'll eat heavy stuff, man. I, you know, I'll be eating oatmeal and, you know, sandwiches and this and that. And I, I've experienced some stomach distress before around 90, you know, 90 or a hundred miles. And, uh, with this fruit, man, and fruit and honey, it mm-hmm. just, dude, it hit the spot brother. But, um, yeah, that's an awesome, awesome tip for anybody that is getting into ultra running. You don't want to go out and spend, you know, uh, fifty, sixty dollars on a box of yeah. goo gels that aren't really, you know, aren't really good for you per se. Anyways, um, take this advice from Greg and uh, dream up a concoction and go make it happen, <laughs> man. Practice with it; you'll get yep. it right. So, um, 
All right. Well, so. and I will say too, I've, I've gone through a lot of different stages and kind of bought into some of that later, earlier in life. I hadn't always done that. Um, one of the races, my probably my all-time favorite race is Vol State. It's a 314-mile race, starts in Missouri, ends in on a mountain in Georgia. Um, in the middle, of it's actually going to start in about a week and a half. So it's hot, mm-hmm. rural roads of Tennessee. It's humid. Um, and you can do it aided or unaided. Aided, you can have a vehicle that kind of gives you support and aid. Unaided, you just got to go from gas station to gas station. And this is rural country, Tennessee. So if you do it unaided, you got to pretty much – just get your mind out of, okay, I got to have this food or that food. You got to get what's at a gas station. And that race really helped me because I just, I had to just remove from my mind of, okay, I need this food to perform when in my, in my humble opinion, you know, especially in a race, it's, it really comes down to calories. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, they're like you said, if you need, if you have that, that low, that low, you need some sugar because that's the only thing that's going to metabolize super fast to get you that energy boost back. But I'd say I did that 314 last year was one of my best races. I did it in three days and 14 hours and the entire race. I fueled off payday bars, Skittles and Pringles with the exception of a Waffle House and uh, stop at Mexican once at a um that's just funny. It was like a 11:30 on a Sunday morning. I was at mile 285. I walked in there like with all the church going folk. I mean, I was man. I, I thought they were gonna kick me out. But so payday bars, Pringles, and Skittles, Waffle House, and Mexican man. I mean, that got me through 314 miles. <laughs> that so. is epic, brother. <laughs> I love that man. Uh, all right, I gotta ask you the next question, brother, and. Um, the number one question that I get, man, on social media, whatever, is what shoes do you wear? What shoes do you wear? And I want to be like, you do understand that the shoes don't really matter. Uh, but that is the number one question. Dude, people get wrapped around the axle when it comes to a shoe. What's your opinion on that, brother? All right. Yeah, I get that. I get asked that a lot. This was probably, if you notice next to my, I had my Tiva, Tiva sandals. I mean, it wasn't until, I mean, I used to, I used to, again, when I first got into ultras, I tried different shoes and, you know, all the different, went through all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I spent three months in Southern Honduras doing uh, water projects and it was during the rainy season and I had my trail shoes. I, I, I can't remember what brand they were. And it was every day I'd go out and I was working out on water projects. And sometimes we'd have to wade out to this little Island off in the Atlantic ocean, off the coast of, um, or there's Pacific. Yeah. Off the, yeah. That side of Honduras. Anyhow. Um, so every day my feet were wet. And I was like, when I came home after that summer at three months in Honduras, I was like, I, I want to find a footwear, like a good sandal that I can run in, I can work in, that's just going to dry. And it was just more from that practicality standpoint. Um, and I thought about, I could, you know, I'm, I might be able to make some out of used tires, blah, blah, blah. So I, I tried a couple of different sandals, tried the Tiva, um, the Tiva sandal. Um, and and I, I started running in them and I loved it you know, $50 pair of sandals, yep. you know, and I did that year. I did my first 24 hour race in the sandals went well. And I did a Teton 100 
um, where I did really well in the sandals. And from that point on, I hadn't, I didn't buy a pair of running shoes. Um, the, the, the pair of shoes I ran in on this, this weekend is the second pair of running shoes that I had bought in seven years. Wow, man. It wasn't until I got into, um, I was doing some really rugged volcano runs in Nicaragua, like these really rugged rocks where I just, the sandals wouldn't, be, you know, that, they'd eat up your feet. I bought a pair of that. And then when I got into the Barkley race, Barkley Marathon in 2018, probably needed, you know, cover foot covering. Mm-hmm. I almost ran that race this weekend in the, in the Tiva sandals. I would have, if I wasn't afraid, I wasn't a hundred percent that they'd be great on the traction because they don't have the best traction. That was the only reason I didn't run in the Tevas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have started with them, but then I was like, what if I don't have time to put on my socks and shoes in that three minute window? So I left the sandals there so that if I felt like I needed to switch out, I could just pop those on. But, Things were going well. If you know, if it wasn't broke, don't fix it. So, so I'm I'm 100 percent in the the shoes I got. I go to Marty and Liz. It's a knockoff secondhand shoe store. I bought both my running shoes there for 30 bucks. Uh, they happen to be ultras. They're nice shoes, but I'm not gonna pay. I'm not gonna pay 100 dollars. But uh, Tiva Tiva sandals. That's that's pretty much all I run in unless I, it's the homemade pair that I make out of used tires and deer skin. So hundred percent, I don't think it has hardly anything to do with your shoes. Now it can help in some respects. And if somebody has, you know, some issues with their feet, I could see that maybe making a difference, but um, I agree with you. It that's, that ain't, that's not where that's not what's going to get you, get you through. I love that brother. So yeah, I just wanted to put that whole topic to rest right here. Um, you guys listen to this. If you're going out to, uh, to run your first ultra, or maybe you've been running for quite a while and, uh, you don't, you know, you're, you're just so confused about what shoe to wear. Just, just buy a halfway decent shoe and just go running it. I mean, it's that, it is that simple. Um, it's not, there's no shoe out there that's going to give you the ability to run further or faster than any other shoe, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Maybe that new Nike shoe with the, with the spring in it. I don't know. You know, that one's kind (laughs) of gotten controversial. That might be, (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll do that to the the marathoners. I don't know. There you go, brother. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. That's good to put that, that topic to rest. Um, before we really dig into the race, I wanted to ask you another hot topic that I know all the listeners want to hear about is, uh, is training. And if you could just give us your philosophy on training. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that, and again, this is just my philosophy. And, this, and I, I feel, I, I think sometimes we do, people do these podcasts or they hear me talk about, you know, with my diet or, trash thing. I just want to make that clear. I, I think everybody's got to got everybody's on their own journey. You got to figure out what works for your body and what works for you. And that's the cool part. You know, it's just, I'm just always encourage people to be deliberate with it. And so, you know, anything that I say, yeah, you know, you may just, you can take some of what I say, take some of what Chad, your philosophy, somebody else, and, but you create your own, yep. you know, and I've done that over the years and I'm a firm believer in, I, you know, I, I, I dig into the training. 
I love the training. Um, for years and years, I would just pick one or two races a year and, and I'd build up. I just, I love that preparing of your mind and the body. Um, it hasn't been, it's, it's only been the last probably three or four years where I started, you know, picking certain races that maybe would be a, a build up to a bit really big a race for the year, you know, just to test the ability. And then I started, you know, picking a race here and there that hey, it's just, it's be fun. And you got the camaraderie and, and, you know, meeting other people. Um, but I guess the, the main thing is I'm a firm believer in that training. I know some people use races as a means of training and that's okay, but that's, that's really not my style. Uh, 2019, and it depends on what you're training for. I, my my a, a race for 2019 was Ball State. Um, I came up short in 2018, and, you know, it was one of those, you know, failures that for 365 days, that was my focus. So 2019, it was about logging long, slow miles, um, you know. And so I logged, I think the whole year ended up, I, I wanted to average 500 miles a month. I didn't do a lot of races, but between January and July of the fall state it's again, 314 mile race. So I was doing long, slow miles. Uh, but you know, you're looking at 125 miles a week. So high volume, but it's a, it's a long race. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta acclimate your body to that long, slow grind. Um, this year I got into Barkley marathons again, um, completely different. You know, I stopped thinking about miles until I started thinking about vertical climb. Mm -hmm. So my goal was to ascend at least 30,000 feet a week and have about 20 to 25 of descent to get that, that a lot of people don't realize that's what's going to break down those quads on the downhills. So I did that for the first couple of months of, um, of the year. So, um, I don't know if that kind of answers your question, but that's, that's kind of my philosophy. You got to think about, okay, what are your goals? Uh, I was talking to that some of the younger runners on our event. I think it's it's hard to do everything. Like ultra running is not just one category. You got your 24 hour race, you've got your your 50k trail runs, you've got your long multi day events that you know. And and there may be some athletes out there that can just can be successful, you know, at all of those. But I'm not one of those. I've got a I've got a specifically I got a purposefully trained for, for that type of event, uh, for the, you know, I, I, the 24 hour race was something that I focused on probably a little bit too long. And I did about four years where that was all I was focused on. And that's a different training mindset than even a multi-day event or something like we did this weekend. Um, you know, it, and, and so like, like right now, if I, if I'm training for a, a race with a lot of vertical climb or a mountain race or Barkley, I'm not going to be, you know, it's probably not, I'm not going to be at my best for a 24 hour event or a, a multi-day event. If that makes sense. No, it makes total sense, brother. And, and what I hear you saying, Greg, and correct me if I'm wrong, is train like you fight. So right. that, that yep. is, that is, that was the standard in the SEAL teams, man. Mm-hmm. And so now you transfer into civilian life, transfer into ultra running, transfer into whatever the challenge is. You think, okay, what is the battle? What is the battlefield look like? What is mm-hmm. the fight? And you you tailor your training to mirror the actual battlefield, the actual fight. 
um, as close as you possibly can. You can never get it exactly right because when you're when you're in that battle, when you're in that fight, things are going to pop up, things are going to happen that you didn't see coming, right? I mean, that's 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 the nature of what we do. But you've got to make your training as realistic as possible. Yep. And Man, that's a great that's a great analogy. Yeah, it reminds me on our farm. Um, my dad was born in 43 and, um, our farm, they did maneuvers for World War II because the landscape here is apparently it's got these rock crevices and the river and they did a lot of maneuvers here that was comparable to where they'd be fighting in Europe. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah, that's, that's just saying, and that's why they did it here. I always ask, well, why did they come out here to Trailsdale County, Tennessee to train for, because the, because the landscape was they're preparing for that fight. And um, my dad always talked about as a boy, he'd go through and find helmets and cots and things that they'd leave behind. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good analogy. Exactly right. That's awesome, brother. And yeah. And, and so you, and you don't have to, you don't have to be a, a military guy to, to realize that. I mean, Greg's been doing this. You've been doing this, man. Like you've been, it's exactly what you just told us about training is match your training to what the battle is going to be, and um, every battle's different, man. Um, so yeah, in in my my training uh, is I, I don't put in quite the miles you put in, Greg. I, I'm I'm very very conservative with training. I like to um, to I, I don't know. I I've re- I rarely put in over eighty miles a week. Um, so and, and that goes back to what Greg said is not only train like your fight like you fight, but develop a training plan that works for your body, right? Greg's body can handle that 120 miles a week. My body can't handle that uh, week after week. It likes that 60, you know, 50, 60 miles a week. That's what it, but, but see when it, but when we actually have to perform, we can both perform. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. the, the training, you know, is going to look different for each different individual. And it's a journey to find that, that regiment that works for you. You're not going to find it overnight. You're not going to get it from a coach. You're not going to read it in a magazine. You have to work through it. You have to, you have to try different things. And then you're finally going to figure out what works for you and your body and what gives you the best results on race day. You know, amen. Yeah. So, all right, brother, let's talk mid state mile. All right. First of all, <laughs> why? Why mid state mile? I mean, you could have ran any race, you could put anything on your calendar that you want. Why mid state mile? Well, really, initially it was, it was for Becca. You know, I, you know, I'd run Black Toe. I don't know if you're familiar with that race. It's a race that John Harden puts on, and Becca's always kind of a, um, huge volunteer at that race. I've run that race the last two years in a row and just her support and energy. You know, I did it this past year. It's a first of February and it's a, it's a loop course. It's, it's really similar to Midstate mile. It's a five mile loop on this farm. Uh, I think you end up climbing about 1500 feet in the five miles. So pretty comparable to that, you know, elevation gain at Midstate. I just remember every time I'd come in and just the energy she had and she reached out to me and just said, Hey, I'd love to have you come to the mid-state mile. And, you know, I, and so initially it was just, I wanted to support her 
in, you know, in her first race. And, um, she wasn't, she wasn't sure how many people would come. She didn't think it'd be that popular, all those kind of things. And so that was the, the first, um, you know, and to be completely honest, you know, I've, I've gone through and I, I think I want, I want people to know this too. I think we can always like being transparent and raw with people. I think sometimes athletes hide their weaknesses, you know, and they always project themselves as being strong and tough, but man, I mean, that's, it's not the case with me. I mean, I, you know, I almost dropped from this race just because, and, and I just said, I've had a rough spring as far as some events and my body had not been feeling up to par and I, you know, I've had a couple of failed um, goals that I'd set out and literally about a week and a half ago. And even the night before the race, I, I went back and read in my journal, you know, what I wrote kind of as I reflected to the race and just didn't feel very confident, you know, coming into it. So I almost pulled out of it just because I just didn't feel like my body was really ready for it. Um, but, uh, well, I'm glad I didn't. It was, <laughs> it was, a, it was definitely a, an awesome experience. So yeah, I guess that's why uh, why I did the did the race to begin with, and I heard you talking about that out on the race course, Greg. You know, I heard I, I distinctly remember some comments you made not not only on a race course, but when we when we first met, the first time you and I ever shook hands, um, yeah. right there in Becca's driveway. You know, and you said, "Man, it's been a it's been a been a rough couple of couple of weeks or months or whatever it was." And you know, you, you look at a guy like you, Greg, and uh, you, you you seem untouchable, man. I mean, you see, to a lot of people, you seem untouchable, and uh, it caught me off guard that you shared that with me. And, and I thought, I wonder if this guy's just messing with me. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I didn't know right. who I didn't know who you were, man. Uh, I knew that you were gonna be a. I knew that you were gonna be a contender the next mm-hmm. day. That's all I knew about you. And then out on the race course. It seemed like you got into your groove and you said, I remember you, you commenting and saying, well, you know, I feel better than I thought I was going to feel. You know, this is giving me confidence right now. Um, so even though you were having those feelings of doubt, you chose still to step in the arena and put yourself out there, man. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's that right there is a win yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. Um, so what – was your strategy for this race brother because mm-hmm. you know i didn't get to spend a lot of time with you the first you know 20 24 25 hours i right. think i might have saw you one time yeah uh, so what was your strategy and and your plan that you wanted to execute sure actually going into it um my strategy was i think a lot more similar to yours than what mine ended up being um and and those first, I don't, I don't know exactly the hour breakdown, but I'd say probably the first eight, nine, ten hours, I wasn't. I was coming in just right, not not long before you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I you know, and I, I remember I didn't really start that going to the start line with two minutes to go until it was. I was already into the race a little bit because I didn't have that much time. Um, Two things changed. The reason I changed my that was my goal from the beginning to try to come in somewhere between seventeen and eighteen minutes 
per lap. Was your goal um, was, to, little, was your goal also to win? Was that part of uh, that those goals? No, I, you know I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just no, no, no. You're, yeah, that's good. To be completely honest, I I told my wife like I think I remember before I left the house, one of my daughters and she asked, "Are are you nervous?" Or you know, because I've you know sometimes when you put man that that Vol State race last year, I mean I prepared for that for 365 days. I was as nervous as a cat mm-hmm. going into that because you know you just everything's on the line. I mean you prepare everything for this race. This race was not like that. I just I had basically kind of resolved in my mind, you know, um, you know, to not be so, you know, not don't be so hard on yourself. Just go go. You know, if your body knowing my body was, I didn't feel like my body was where it needed to be to be a, a true contender, um, you know, and and just well, I, I tell you, let me read my journal entry. Because I think it kind of the night before, because it, it kind of encapsulates that where, where my mind was before I actually it was the morning of. Yeah, it was the morning. This was before the race started. Um, and it, it kind of gives you an idea of where I was mentally. Mm-hmm. I said, um, here I am again at another ultra. My mindset has gone from a hum- humble confidence to a humble lack of confidence. I feel okay physically um, but I have virtually very little belief in my ability today and then my prayer was I said Lord I will praise you in the valley and I will praise you on the mountaintop Lord I commit myself today to push my body and my mind to their respective limits so that was my you know and I think it's all about assessing where you are that day and being the best that you can be that day. Yep. And so my goal, if you really want to sum that up, my goal for the race was to push my body and my mind to their absolute limits. Yep. And I mean, what else can you ask of yourself, right? Nothing. And if and so, and that's why I've always kind of shied away from the backyard events because I'm all, I'm all, I'm all about it's it's me. This journey on the ultras is me and God. It's me pushing myself to the furthest limits. It's not about somebody else. It's about me. And so, and so I kind of looked at that in the sense of I'm going to push myself, my body, my mind to the absolute limits. Right? And if I'm, if I'm out, if I'm 10th place, if I, if I last 12 hours, then so be it. If I last 24 hours, if I'm the last man standing, then, hey, what, wherever that lands me. And I feel like I've been doing these enough to where, you know, I can I can kind of gauge you know where I am physically and and mentally. Yep. So that was my goal. And then you know, but yeah, I'm a competitor, man. Shoot, you know, I mean, I you know, when it comes down to it, yeah, I want to win, and you know, I'm want to I'm want to battle. And so I guess ultimately that was my goal was to kind of see where. But I didn't set out at the very beginning. I'm gonna win this thing. Mm-hmm. That was not my mindset. Yep. If that makes sense. Uh, it makes total sense, and that okay. uh, likewise, that's never my mindset, brother. It's a uh, I, I I go into these races, especially these backyard events, and I say simply, there are two possible outcomes. I, I'll be the I'll be the last man standing, or I'll break my body. Essentially, right. what you're saying, I'll push myself to my absolute limit. I'll leave it all out there on the course. And, right. and if, if that is the place that I go to and it's not good enough to win, 
it's still a victory for me. Oh, yeah. Because that's the most beautiful place that you can be in as a human being. Yep. You know, and, and that's right. You, you, you know, you, you do all, it's, you, you do, we, we ran 27 hours for three hours of growth. Yep, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, yep. uh, all right. So back to your strategy. Um, you, you were, you were, you were staying, you were staying pretty, you know, I say slow. You were kind of coming in right before me. I was the last place almost every lap, but you were just right before me. But eventually you sped up a little bit, didn't you? Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, you know, of course, hindsight's 2020. And in all due respect to you, you know, really, if, if, if you think about, what we because I think we've got that similar mindset. I love finding my limits. Mm-hmm. You know, I love finding my limits physically. And and I can I can handle a race. I can pillow my head that night night and feel confident in myself if my limits were physical, mm-hmm. right? Instead of mental. Now I've been in races where the you know, you know, there's a scripture in the body, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible where it says, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right. Yep, yep. That's what I, I mean. I, you know, it's not maybe it's not an exact, you know, um, parallel to what we're doing, but it's just that mindset of I can I can fill my head at night knowing that my body broke down before my mind. Right. Yep. Now, man, the races that I've that my body was still capable of moving forward and I quit because of my mind. And those are the sleepless nights. That's hard. Yeah, I can't I can't. I don't like, I don't, that, I can't, I, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that make sense? And so what I was getting at is the thing about this race is you didn't get there. You know, you didn't get to get to experience that. Mm-hmm. You didn't put, you didn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you, you still had a lot left in the tank, you know? And, um, but, and, and so in, in some respects, I, that's kind of, that's what I love about the takeaway from this race is that, yeah, there's there's a lot of great discovery that comes from when you can actually find those limits. But going back to that race strategy, um, what what I what I found happened about about eight about hour eight or nine, my left quad started getting tight on the downhills, right? And I was like, man, this is you know, and you know, you're always kind of doing that scan of the body, what's hurting, you know, what what can I do to kind of fix it. And so I was like, man, this is going to be, I mean, this is only, I'm only nine hours in and my left quads already. And I could feel it. I could feel like if, if I would, when I would sit down I and mean, that muscle was contracted and, and a lot tighter than my right quad. And so I was like, man, I try to punch it and stretch it. And then I started doing that. I don't know if you started noticing John would laugh. He's like, I was doing tricep dips, but I was, I was really stretching that quad out. Yep. And that made a world of difference. So if I could have a good 30, 45 second stretch on that left quad every lap, that it would loosen up. And if and you know, I don't know if you noticed towards the end of the race when we would have some some laps where we were a lot closer together, mm-hmm. like I was in eye shot of you or we were running together. If you noticed, I would kind of pull ahead on that first hill. And on that first downhill, I would pull ahead of you. But on that second downhill, you were always you're either catching me coming, you're getting closer to me. Mm-hmm. I could I could see your headlight in the night. Like, and I could tell you were gaining on me on that last downhill. And a couple of times we were running together. By the time I'd get to that second downhill, my left quad was so tight. I mean, I was, I was just 
tippy toeing down it just because yep. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go down it very tall. But then I would stretch it out and I'd be back. It would be back to give me some, you know, pretty good performance on the first half of that loop, the up and the down. But then I get to that second downhill and it's get tight again. So that was the main reason I started speeding up a little bit to give myself a little extra time, you know, because ultimately I know is, I mean, you, you, you had the perfect strategy in an ideal situation. I'd been better off to run, you know, 17, 18 minute laps um, instead of that 16 minute lap. But I felt like I needed that time to stretch out that left quad. And it, ultimately it was that left quad that locked up and was my, it was my demise of the race anyhow. So, but it, but hey, I, I can't complain. I mean, if it's that, that race, that leg started, you know, feeling it at hour eight and what we went to 29 and a half, that's, that's pretty good. It hung in there pretty good. I guarantee you, brother. And so there's a lot of gold right there in, in that little segment of conversation. First of all, like Greg talked about, you finding those, those limits, uh, for yourself, that that's where victory is. And, um, you know, in a race like this, in, in any challenge in life, uh, but especially in this type of format of a race, you you only get to go as far as your competitors allow you to go. And and when you get down to that core group, that core group of men and women that are just there to just go, just go to battle. Um, every one of those individuals wants to find their limit. That's what they're there for. And me and Greg had this conversation out on the course. He said, you know, this is weird because in a way you want your competitor to crumble and quit, but then there's another part of you that wants him to remain strong because you, you keep, you're going to keep being able to push yourself. So what I get from that, is seek worthy adversaries. Seek worthy adversaries in life. Appreciate when you go into a race, when you go into a business venture, when you go into whatever the challenge is, and there's somebody there that is quite obviously got a better resume than you, that's quite obviously better than you, be thankful for that because, man, that's going to sharpen you tenfold. Mm -hmm. Then if you go into a challenge against an adversary that cannot cannot push you. So seek a worthy adversary in life. Um, and the next one I got from that, Greg, was the function check, dude. You tell you called it a body scan. In the SEAL teams, we we had weapons. Those were our tools to accomplish our mission. Before we went out onto the battlefield, we would do our we would do a function check on our weapon so we'd run through it from top to bottom make sure everything worked and was in order what was our our weapon this weekend was our body right we were using our bodies in order to accomplish this mission and that's one thing greg and i have in common is that function check literally head to toe checking in with yourself and and seeing what what was get what what was what was a little out of whack and then adjusting in order to either fix that problem or mitigate the issues that that problem was causing. It's really mm -hmm. cool that you were doing those body scans just like I was doing, and I called it a function check, head to toe, every lap. And I'd yep. come in on laps, man, and I'd say, all systems are go. All systems mm -hmm. are go. And that's what I was talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, that's awesome. That, well, that's and on that note, Chad, too, you know, and that part, I, and I mean this, I mean this from the, from my heart. That was part of my motivation from the end is, you know, there's a point there. I don't know if it was lap three. I had about three laps to go. It was obvious you 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 were going to win, you know, short of some crazy fall or, you know, whatever. Um, but I, at that point, part of and people ask, well, why did you keep going out? And, you know, honestly, I went out for you because I felt like that, you know, I owed you that, right? Because, you know, like you said, that worthy adversary wasn't about me. I, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, it was obvious with my leg, I think I gave it like four laps and it was just getting tighter and tighter. And there's a point you just had to be realistic and realize, I don't think it's going to loosen up. I mean, there was a moment there where I could, well, maybe I maybe it'll loosen up and I can gain this back. Um, but I was like, you know, Chad deserves, he, I want, I want to push him a little bit more. And I know I, I didn't push you to your limits, but that was part of my motivation of going back out for just one more loop. I'm, I want to get, I wanted you to get a little closer to your limits because I think that's where you find more fulfillment in a race. Does that make sense? I've always shied away from the backyard ultras for that reason, because to me, the worst, the, the worst feeling in that would be to win and not come anywhere near your limits. If that makes sense. Like, honestly, I would prefer to this, to have this scenario on, you know, I would prefer to, you know, I felt like we 30 hours is, is, is pretty good. And, I, you know, I would, have, I would have been happy with the win. But I would much prefer being second and me pushing myself to the absolute limits than that race ending in, like, say, 16 hours and me winning. Yeah. You know you know what I'm saying? And yeah. that I w- I'll take this any day of the week to be second and we went – we hammered for 30 hours and me to, to, to tag a win – it's say like 18 hours or 20 hours when I knew that, man, I had a lot left in the tank. Yep. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes total sense, brother. And, uh, you know, that that's the prime example of, uh, of what, you know, on your post you made, iron sharpens iron. You were sharpening me purposefully. You were giving me the opportunity to sharpen myself. That is that brotherhood. That's that brotherhood. That's selflessness. That's crucifying your flesh. Uh, in order to serve your brother. <laughs> That's exactly what you were doing, and it's so cool to hear you say that, man. Um, and, and I agree. Um, you know, I don't look back. I don't have I – ne- I never talk about regrets in life. But if I could change one thing about the race, uh, it would have – I, I would have appreciated being the man that – just could no longer just even even stand on his feet more so than the victory the victory means nothing the victory means nothing to me absolutely nothing um so powerful brother oh and i want to ask you one thing greg and this is i mean this may be maybe a little sacred to you or i know it was to me but uh, there was a moment out on the trail when it was just you and i and uh, and you asked if you could pray for me, and and you blessed me. Uh, why did you do that, man? Well, just you know, I don't know. I what I love. I never I never realized that this would be the greatest gift of ultra running, 
and I don't, and I think, and I don't know, I think you're a little wiser beyond your years, but I'm, you're entering your career as an ultra runner. And I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'll be 47 in a couple of months. It's, you know, I may, I may snag a couple other wins here and there, but you know, that window for me, you know, there's not a lot of 50 plus ultra runners that are extremely competitive. They may snag a win at a small race here and there, but I, I get, I get that, that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a point, but, you know, I always tell people, you know, when I, when I take my last breath and I look back on my life, I don't think I'm going to be saying, you know, I wish I'd won more wear aces or I wish that I'd run more miles or I wish that I had made more money. I think I'll probably, I hope I don't have any regrets, but I think what I'm going to be thinking about and how I, how I basically determine the wealth of my life is the love that I have shared and the love that I have received. And, and that has been very true in a lot of different avenues of my life. But even with ultras, you know, I went into this thinking, okay, I want to, I want to win. I want to make the USA ultra team. I want to, you know, have these attributes in this portfolio and my ultra sign up. I want to, you know, and, and that's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But looking kind of back on my career man, the blessings are the friendships and the camaraderie that's been forged through that. And, it, and I, if somebody hasn't experienced it, I don't even think we can really put it into words where people can understand when, when two individuals, you and I, and like I said, we didn't spend a lot of time with each other, but I know you were hammering those same heels, running over that same terrain that I was for, was it 26 hours when it was just us, 20, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we're doing the same thing. So, I mean, we were connected. I mean, there was a connection between us because we had gone through that same dark valley together and we, we, we pushed our bodies. And so I just, I felt a, just a, just a connection with you. And, and I think, and when, when that's the case, I want the best for you, you know, and I, and that's, what's beautiful about the ultras. I can want Chad to be the most successful and to be the best and to be victorious. And at the same time, I'm going to battle him and I'm going to try to win myself. And I think, you know, that's that's a beautiful concept that I think a lot of people, at least I think for me in my faith as a Christian, you know, I can be competitive against you and I can want to beat you, but also want the very best for you at the same time. And so, I don't know, I just felt compelled and felt moved that I wanted to pray for you and I wanted to pray for your strength. And, you know, I, I believe that, that, you know, and I'm, I think in some respects, you know, your platform is much bigger than mine. And so I think God can, could use you as the, the victor in this case more so than he could have used me. And man, if that's the case, then I'm, you know, cause it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly content with that. Well, you know, I received that, that blessing that you, that you spoke over me, man. And you talked to, you talked to God on, on my behalf, and I received that. And uh, I can't tell you that the amount of energy and strength that that gave me. And you know, I, I, this has been on my heart, brother. You, you, you know, we talk a lot about God. We talk a lot about being Christian men. Uh, that's a big part of our lives. 
as unworthy servants of Jesus Christ, and, and we, we keep that front and center, and we are by no means ashamed of the gospel. And a lot of people think, maybe looking from the outside, uh, a lot of people think that Christian men are weak. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially men, can be ashamed of their relationship with God. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, brother, when I'm head-to-head against a man like you that I know has tapped into the inexhaustible strength of the Holy Spirit, and I know the man, I, I know the man that you serve. I know Jesus, and you serve, he, he, he was a man, he's the Son of God, but you serve a man that set the ultimate example of what it is to suffer. Mm-hmm. You serve a God that literally was nailed, went willingly, went willingly to a cross, was beaten, was hammered into the ground, was was tortured, and went willingly and was nailed to a cross. Never spoke a, never spoke a ill word. Mm-hmm. Never thought about quitting. I know you serve that man, and that is your example, and that is my example. And whenever things get hard for Christian men or Christian women in life, we can look to our Father and say, look what he did for us. How insignificant is my pain in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I think you referenced it. I think that's right. We were having that moment, and you talked about meekness. I think you mentioned that when we were out on the course and, you know, that, and yes, I love that, that, that word, you know, and you think about, I think the, the Greek of that in the New Testament is praates, and there, we don't have a word to really capture that, but it's strength under control. And that way that word was used in the first century was like an, an oxen, you know, or this large horse that obviously has this incredible strength, but they submit to, you know, the, they submit to the master and, and they, they're under that control. So it's strength under control. And I think that, you know, that kind of goes along with what you said, obviously Jesus had the, the greatest example of praates when he's on the cross and he submits to the will of the father when he didn't want to suffer. And I think that's, I like to think about those concepts and that, you know, that's, and I, I think there's, there's just something about that suffering that you find so much Rome. You know, I think that Romans five, where it says we glory in our suffering because suffering builds perseverance. Perseverance is what builds character and character leads to hope and hope doesn't disappoint. And so, you know, it's those moments of, of suffering and then the camaraderie when you're able to suffer with another individual, mm-hmm. I don't know, those are moments of growth for me. And I grew this weekend. And I think that's, that was just, those were beautiful moments. And you talked to about that duality between our relationships out there on the course, Greg, where you, you're literally blessing me, but at the same time you want to win. Like, and, mm-hmm. and, but but you talked about wanting to see 
your your brother wanting to see your fellow competitor uh, successful, wanting to see them achieve uh, the highest level that they possibly can. And, you know, that makes me think about Noah, man. And uh, the reason is because he's one man that that he's just beginning, just just starting out in life. And I want to see Noah be as successful as he possibly can. I want to see his God-given talents maximized. And you know why? Because I know that Noah will be a good steward of those of that success. Yeah. And that's a main thing for me, man, is you know when I when I'm thinking about when when I'm pouring out my blessings upon or, or my prayer, I'm pouring my prayer into another brother or another sister. It's important for me to know that they're going to be a good steward of that success. Right. You know, and uh, I don't know. That's just something that's been on my heart lately, um, and it just uh, with with Noah especially, I got such a connection to that to that guy, man, and he's got mm-hmm. so much talent. So, well, he does, yeah, yeah. All right, I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole, but that was just something that was on my heart, mm-hmm. man. No, nah, you're good. You're All good. right, so going into I guess the last few uh, loops of the race, um. You know, I, I can remember on lap 28 when that quad locked up, man, and you came across the finish. You came across the finish. I saw you uh, just fighting, dude. I mean, just just battling it out. And I thought there's a huge part of me um, as your brother and as a warrior that wanted to go and just lift you up, man. That I mean, I want if I had to carry you around the next loop, I, that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> but but there was but there was another. It was a battle within myself that said only one of us can win here. Only mm. one of us can win. So it was a huge battle for me. And I don't know if you know it, man, but I got. I got so dang choked up I on that loop that I was I literally could I was about to fall apart on account on account of that battle on account of those emotions and the only thing that I that I had to go back to was a part of the seal creed that says the thing that separates us from everybody else there's one thing that can separate us and allow us to perform is that that's the ability to control our emotions mm-hmm. regardless of circumstance. Yep. Yep. It doesn't say that we can't show emotion. Mm-hmm. We should show emotion when, when the time is right. And I had to keep reminding myself of that on that loop, man, and thinking, I can't break down right now. I still have to perform. We're still yep. in this fight. And uh, that was an exercise for me that you provided for me to go through that process. And I haven't, I, I've, I have never felt that way against uh, my adversary in competition. I've never experienced that. It was really weird. Even in buds, man, in SEAL training, when guys would quit, I didn't care. Like, it, it was just, it, it had to happen. It had mm-hmm. to happen. But um, I think the difference was 
is in buds, guys were quitting. That's different than what you were doing. You weren't quitting. You were pushing beyond uh, your what, what your what your limits were. You were beyond that, you know. And gosh, dude, it was it was unbelievable, you know. And I don't know. I just had to tell you about that because I've never experienced that well of emotions before against a competitor. Have you ever experienced that, dude? Or I had a similar thoughts of, of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I have, I, you know, probably my biggest, I guess, con- relating to that, uh, Ball State, going back to that race, I've, I've been able to complete it four times, uh, 2014, 15, 16, and 19. And um, actually, three of the times, three of the times I battled Johan Steen, you know much about the backyard he's kind of he's got i guess i got the record for the most loops in the mm-hmm. the, the big backyard i uh, didn't know him before we started the race but it was that similar battle and we we exchanged leads i think in the three years we've run we've probably exchanged leads 50 times in that race and just that connection and i remember there's times that i would go through a really rough hard i mean it's hot hundred and 10 degree heat index road. I'd get through this section and I knew he was a little bit behind that in that race. At that time, he's a little bit behind me. And I find myself just almost weeping for him, knowing that he's got to, he's got to, he's got to go through that valley just like I did. Um, this past year, I was going after his unaided record. Um, he was doing it aided, I was doing it unaided. So we were battling for the first 48 hours. I was blessed a little bit to pull away. Um, he sent me a message when I finished, I finished and broke his record. And he was saying, brother, I'm weeping for you in your victory, you know, and just that. So that, I mean, yeah, I, I get that, man, just that. I mean, and you're also true on, a, I guess on a, on a similar note, that emotion, you know, you've got in, in the, in the heat of that battle, it's okay. Like you said, it's okay to show emotion. It's okay, but you can't let that start to, um, I guess, alter your goals. And I've made that mistake before. And, and I tell my students, I tell my children, I'm a firm believer in this. God gives us emotions to enhance things, but it gives us logic to make decisions. We don't make decisions based on emotion. And, and, you know, and sometimes we, you know, I've found myself getting emotional in races for multiple reasons, whether it's whatever. Um, and I've got, you got to reel that in. You kind of give yourself those moments but then you got to reel back in and get back to work. You know, um, you now when the race is over, you can let all the emotions go then if you want to. Yep. But um, when there's a task at hand, you got to, you got to, you got to reel that in. So that definitely, I think, and, and those are beautiful moments. Those are beautiful moments to reflect on. Yes, they really are, brother. I distinctly remember coming by you. I think on your last loop, and I tagged you on the shoulder, and I said, "Greg, I can't look at you right now. Yeah. I can't yeah. talk to you." And I said, I just got to run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was, that was tough. I didn't know how else. I had to be real with you. I yeah, didn't know no, how you, else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't expect anything else. And I, it had been, I wouldn't want you, you know, I wasn't what we're there for. I didn't want you to, you know, and that's what I told Becca and John, you know, I, I don't, I don't like race directors. I don't like fans. I don't like crew members, I don't want to say I don't like them. I don't like it when they patronize me 
or coddle me or feel sorry for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I know what I'm signing up for. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> you know, that's just, I don't, and that's not, that doesn't help. And that's, you know, I, I, it's what I like about Laz. People sometimes think that he's cruel or mean. It's not that he's a wonderful person. He just knows that you don't need pity to get the most out of your body. That is not what, you know, that from the military, that's not, that's not what you need. Mm -hmm. And we all have those moments where we start to feel self-pity. We feel sorry for ourselves. And that does not help you to reach your limits. You've got to shut that down. And then, you know, the worst thing you can do for a fellow competitor or for, if you're a race director or a crew is to, to kind of perpetuate that self-pity. You, you know, that's what I love. My wife, she's wonderful. She gives me tough love. You know, there's times that she'll come, she's come out to Ball State before and I'm sitting there in my little pity party and, you know, thinking I'm just, you know, I'm getting weepy. She's like, well, okay, well, you know, there's plenty of work to be done on the farm. Well, let's get in the car and go home or you get back on the road and finish this race. And, you know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, because it's, that's what we need. So, and that's the other thing, I guess, to clarify a little bit, you know, sometimes I guess that that video, I think it's kind of interesting people's response to the video of me falling down. I guess, A, I do want people to know, especially when I'm younger, like I'm a cross-country coach and I've got students. Um, I don't necessarily attribute to that concept of I'm going to win at all costs. You know, as a, as a man of faith and I don't, you know, that winning and that's that, like I told you before, that wasn't why I was pushing forward. I knew what was wrong with my leg. It was not an injury. It was just that muscle was locked up. And, and if you notice, like after the race, if I wasn't running, even walking, it really wasn't even that painful. Mm-hmm. It was just that muscle was locked up. And on the uphills, I was okay. It was just that downhill. That just that quad was just killing me. Yes, it was really painful to run on. But, you know, I know there were some comments on the videos like, I don't know if this guy needs to be pushing his body like that. You know, like I'm worried about him. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it looked like I was stumbling. I was stumbling because that muscle was not functioning. Mentally, I was dialed in. I was fine. I wasn't dehydrated. I did the body scan. And, I mean, I, I, felt, I felt fine. Um, so, and I also think if I felt like it was an injury that was going to damage my health, um, I think the responsible thing, especially as someone that has a family, is to pull out. I mean, yep. you know, you know, I'm not going to injure myself where I can't perform the task that I need to perform at home with my family or my job to win a race. So, you know, and the other thing too is I don't, man, that's, that's what I run for. I run to, for, for my body to break down. I was having the time of my life. Don't feel sorry for me. You know, if anything, be envious because, you know, I got to, man, that's, those are the moments. That's, that's why we do these things. Yep. You know, I told Becca, you know, it's like, thank you. You know, somebody said, well, I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, if I, if I didn't want to suffer or do something hard, I'd have played golf on Saturday or I'd have, you know, done, just sat out here on the porch. You know, I mean, whoever, whoever signed up for that race and didn't think that they were going to feel pain or suffer, I don't, know, I don't know what they thought they were signing up for. And I just, I was able to suffer, you know, I feel like, and, and, and really take my body to the limit. So I felt blessed. That was a blessing to me. So I guess I, I guess my main point is don't feel sorry for me. You know, I, I was having the time of my life. Yep. 
and, and we, I, I think that we know those limits, and we share that that thought of we know the difference between an injury and mm-hmm. something that's going and, and something that's not going to affect us long term. A, a issue that we're having. And one example I had, I took a fall uh, around shoot, I don't know what hour it was, late in the race. I took a hard fall. I had a blister on the top of my third toe about the size of a quarter. And when I fell, my foot rolled around, and the top of my foot hit the ground, and it it exploded that blister. And it literally felt like somebody had cut my freaking toe off, man. I mean, it was it was the awful, I mean, awful pain. But um, I knew that, that that blister would heal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. it hurt, man. It, it really hurt. But I knew that, that that was not an injury. That was just that was part of that was part of the deal, brother. Right. And I came into the, the tent and Mark saw I had, you know, mud smeared down my leg. He said, Man, did that fall rattle anything? Did it? I said, Brother, we ain't gonna talk about it. Because that's, right. that's one of my that's one of my big things is people hear me talk about not giving your pain a voice. That would have been like if you would have came in you know, at, at hour nine or 10, when that quad first started acting up, you weren't coming in saying, dang, man, my quad's killing me, man. Like right. you were just, man, no, nobody would have ever known, you know, yep. nobody would have right. ever known. And that's what that means to not give your pain a voice. And I want to hit real quick, like you said, the people's response to that video. Dude, I bet we got over 500 messages of people saying, I'm crying right now, and I don't understand why. I don't understand why I'm crying about this. And it's not pity. The reason that I was that I was so emotional, it wasn't pity. It's the beauty. It's it that is the beauty of that moment and that growth that is happening in that moment is uh, there's no parallel. And to me, that was a big part of what made it so emotional for so many people that weren't even there. It's, it's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing. It's a part of, of what we should all aspire to do as humans, but we don't get it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, life is so easy nowadays, man, for, for a lot of people, not everybody. I'm talking about in 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 a first world country, you know, for uh, the majority of people it is unbelievably easy. And we don't see those moments of magnificent growth, endurance and strength uh like we probably would have saw on a daily or weekly basis a thousand years ago, uh, even 500 years ago. We're missing that. We're missing yep. that in our lives. And then when it happens and we see it, we don't even know what it, what's welling up inside of us. So I would encourage everyone that's listening to this to intentionally find some way to inflict some adversity upon yourself and experience those moments. And essentially, that is why you were emotional uh, about that video of Greg, it's because it was it's it's it was human nature. It was beauty. It was growth. It was all these things that we're not used to seeing anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. So awesome, brother. Um, all right, well, uh, well, that pretty much wraps up the race. Um, 
You know, I came uh, came in. I think twenty hour somewhere in twenty nine. You were out. I think I've I've completed the my last loop that made thirty hours total. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, came across the finish line. Man, we we had our hug, and like I say, there was only one thing on my mind was uh, I I had the opportunity to compete against a worthy opponent that day. I was so thankful for that, uh, so thankful. It, it, you know, the the like I said before, the victory was not it didn't even even matter to me. You know, it was that mm-hmm. that battle. So amazing, brother. Anything else you want to talk about on, on the race, brother? Yeah, same here, man. I I I, you, I I shoot that right back at you. Just that being a worthy competitor. I, you know, I, it was a blessing, and and even a shout out to um, Alex and Eric and and Noah, some of those others that were there. Man, it was you know you're you know I guess it's just the nature of it. You're sizing up your competition, you know, from the from the very beginning. I mean, I as we get down to like twenty people, I'm standing there at the start line and. You know, not in an arrogant or a, you know, but I, I'm just looking at everybody's, their face and, and, you know, and you can start to see that chink in the armor. You can start to see, okay, you know, who's, who's breaking down. And I think when we got to about eight, I don't know, somewhere around eight, six to eight people, I, I can kind of tell who was going to be, I mean, you know, there could be an injury or something like yeah. that, but. Man, I from every lap, you know, you were you were solid. I mean, I I I didn't see I never saw in you any weakness. Right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, and I think that there's a in these type of races, that's I, I feel like I've done them enough and I'm mature enough in my my running that it doesn't that didn't really get into my head necessarily. Yep. But if I, as a younger runner, it would, you know, and so I, and I tell I tell my cross country runners, I said, sometimes you got to fake it till you can make it. Yep. You know, if you're in the heat of battle, you want your opponent, you want them to know that hey, I'm solid and I'm good because that's that's in that's important. But I, my point is, is to you, man, you just you know, I mean, I was observing you from at least probably ten hours on, you know, and you were you were strong. You know, and that's. I think I, I think I'm 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 anxious to see what what your uh, career brings for you because that's a tough event. I've done a lot of. I mean, I feel like I've done a lot of different races. You know, a lot of multi days, twenty four hour. You know, um, but that ranks up there as far as just the grit and the toughness that that requires. And I knew you had more in you too, so. That was an awesome, awesome battle, brother. Awesome. Yeah, it really was, brother. And, uh, you know, you, you didn't show much either, Greg. I, I didn't see a chink in your armor until very, very end. Uh, you know, you, you were you were at the start line waiting for me usually a minute and a half before the, the <laughs> lap even started, man. Uh, and, and yeah, that, that will rattle a lot of people. And, you know, I think there's two different strategies, two different angles you can work uh, on that topic. Um, you can choose to do like I did and, uh, and just never show any weakness. But there's also a time that I think it can be advantageous 
in a in a true head to head battle to faint a little weakness in mm-hmm. front of your your adversary and let him think let him think that uh, that he's got it in the bag. Let him relax a little bit. Right. Let him yeah. go out and run a, a couple fast laps because he thinks it's almost over. And you just mm-hmm. keep him within striking distance, man. And you just let him do his thing. And then you got it, man. You, you keep him yeah. in striking distance. And, and so that's two different angles, I think, that true. you can work on yeah. that race. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're speaking of the other guys, uh, you know, Noah and Eric and um, those guys. And, dude, I've watched Noah bear crawl up those hills for two straight laps. I was like, how in the world is this dude bear crawling up this dang hill? Yeah. Unbelievable, man. There were so there were multiple winners at that oh, race, yeah. man. Multiple winners. Yeah. Amazing, amazing group of people. Um all right, Greg, I want to be respectful of your time, man, but I also I want to wrap this up with uh I want you to tell us a little bit about what your mission is. I know you travel around the world, and uh, you, you've you've got your um, uh, run for water, and and you do a lot of great work for people all over the world. Tell us about your mission, man. Okay, um, I guess it's 2010. You know, I decided that. You know, I guess as a there was a moment I was having in my personal devotional of thinking about the talents and the, the things that I do with my hands and how I can utilize those things to, to bring more glory to God and to serve other people. Kind of that same thing of being more of a contributor to the world instead of a consumer of it. And up to that point in my life, I had, a, had kind of compartmentalized, you know, my running. My running was about me. It was about health and my goals and me being healthy. I didn't necessarily utilize running as a, as a catalyst or a vessel to really contribute to the world. And again, not that that nothing wrong with that, but I had this ideas and I was reading John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life. You can have life more abundant and kind of this idea that is it possible that maybe that abundant life that we have in Christ is taking our talents, our passions, the things that we love doing still do those things. God's not saying give those up, but just don't do them for yourself. Do those for a greater purpose. And so that kind of that more run for water came in. I'm a high school science teacher. So I'd talk to a lot of my students about the water crisis in our world, both from a humanitarian standpoint and an environmental standpoint. Um, and so that became kind of my using that platform. And you know what, you know what I think is interesting. I was 36 at the time. Whenever I established Run for Water and I kind of decided, okay, I'm not running for myself anymore, but I'm running. And anytime I have success at running, I'm going to use running as a platform to talk about the water crisis in our world. I won my first race. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, it was literally, I didn't even recognize that till years later. It was two weeks after I established that organization. Mm -hmm. And, and then the way the Lord's blessed me, you know, through that and uh, you know and I, it's just been humbling truly humbling um and so yeah our our, our mission is to provide clean water uh, for people around the world um and using that water john chapter four and and trying to share that with people as the living water of christ you know and and so that's kind of that angle and that's kind of how that ties into kind of the spiritual component of it 
Uh, currently, we've worked a lot in um, Honduras and Nicaragua. Uh, currently, we're really active in Uganda and Kenya. Kind of our niche there is repairing broken well pumps. We'll drill a well. We'll usually drill two or three wells a year. But our main goal is there's a lot of organizations out there drilling wells and putting in the hand pumps, but it's a mechanical pump. It's going to go bad depending on how much it's used between six months and a year. There's not organizations going back and fixing them. So we'll go back and we'll repair um, hand pumps. Um, you know, and that's that's become part of our niche. We work in Haiti. We have a um, similar uh, program there, but it's surprising to a lot of people. Probably our most active, we spend the most time working in Appalachia. You know, there's still kids three and a half hours from where I'm sitting right now in um, East Tennessee that are drinking from contaminated wells and have E. coli poisoning because their water's contaminated. Uh, so we, we're still doing a lot of, lot of work in Appalachia in that area. So um, and that's another real quick, if you got just a little time, another, I think a, a good, good lesson of that idea, taking your passion and um, your interest in utilizing those in God's kingdom I think that's a, that's a really good, and that's kind of, I guess kind of one of the takeaways is I'd like for people to take a strong inventory of how God has blessed you, what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, and then how you can utilize that to, you know, in his kingdom and to bless other people. My first trip to Africa, it was a survey trip. I took my, my oldest daughter. She was 16 at the time. And of course, I'm looking at it from the perspective of water crisis. How can we provide clean water for these people in these rural villages? She's a teenage girl. She's looking at it from the perspective of a teenage girl. The burden of collecting water in our world generally falls on women and children. And so, you know, these women are walking miles to carry a 40-pound jerry can to go get water from a swamp and then bring that back to their home. And they know that it's contaminated. One well that we uh, drilled last year, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Maggie Guterall, she did a auction to raise money to, to drill a brand new well at a school. And I wanted the kids to show me where they're getting water before we drilled that well. And this little kid took me down to this swamp and he tugged me on the uh, shirt and he said, thank you for the clean water. Um, you know, I won't have typhoid fever now. So, I mean, they knew they were getting sick from the water, mm -hmm. but my, my daughter observed that these uh, teenage girls collecting water. She started talking to them. Well, what are some of your biggest problems that you have and and they shared with her like their biggest one of their biggest problems is they don't have proper feminine hygiene so they miss a month of school every month i mean they miss a week of school once a month she comes back tells some of her friends at school and they come up with a a new organization called 84 days and man that that has actually become probably more of a genuine ministry than even the run for water component so um, currently, and it's, it's about empowering women and keeping girls in school. So the, the way the program works, we put together kits. And these kits have, they have reusable pads and they have a menstrual cup. Uh, they have um, washcloths. And, and so we do this program where we go in and teach, you know, sanitation and how to use these proper feminine hygiene products uh, so girls can stay in school and they can get an education. Um, and what we found is, uh, they uh, we, we started implementing self-defense and um, 
And so like we'll split up the girls at a school and half of them will, will learn how to do, how to use the feminine hygiene products. And then the other half will teach them self-defense and then they switch. And oh, it's, it's incredible to see these strong girls, intelligent girls, just to give them that empowerment of the self-defense, how to utilize their body. And, and, and even, you know, and we surveyed one school in this, it was around this um, rice, um, and it was a sugarcane plantation in this area of Uganda. And so there's a lot of transient workers. We, we taught the self-defense and, and, and implemented the, the feminine hygiene products in May. We went back in October to survey. And out of the 100 girls that had received the self-defense, four of them within that four-month period had to use self-defense to prevent attack already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and people that way, we're not teaching them to beat up a grown man, but we're teaching them to get that distance. That, and even and when they get, they get a whistle and they have this backpack, and we make the self-defense training public. We do it under a mango tree. And, and what, what we've learned in these communities People see it. They see these girls just pounding on these bags and getting empowerment. And then those girls walk around with that backpack. And, and we've even heard from the communities that, that they know not to mess with those girls. Mm-hmm. They're strong. And, you know, they, they know these moves of self-defense. And so um, I'll wrap it up with this. We were, I was repairing a well in this rural village in Uganda. I was working on this well and the, and, and, some of the girls that I, that I were, they were leading the 84 days workshop program in a church was just within a stone's throw. And this man came up, he's like, man, what you're doing here is life changing. And which is a common thing. And, you know, you know, water is life. You have to have clean water and everybody knows that's important. I was like, yeah, you know, water is life. Water is so important. He's like, I'm not talking about the water. I'm talking about what you're doing and what these girls are receiving. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm a school teacher. He said, and what happens when a girl misses a week of school, you know, because, you know, she just, she, she has, you know, her menstrual cycle, she comes back. Um, the problem is not that she gets behind is begin she begins to just think that she is intellectually inferior to the boys and the boys begin to think that. And in the next month, she misses another week. And the month after that, she misses another week. And pretty soon she just gets discouraged. She just thinks that she's not smart enough to be in school when she drops out. She said, that's life changing. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was like, yeah, that's, I'd never thought of it from that perspective. Um, so that's just a, I guess that gives you a little snapshot of, of, of part of that ministry that, um, that we're involved in. Unbelievable, dude. Unbelievable. And where can people support those those missions, man, where can people go to support? Right. Well, if you want to know more about the run for water, runforwater.net is the website. And then 84 days.net 84 days, is the number of days that a girl will miss from school or work if she doesn't have proper feminine hygiene. And I know it's a little touchy subject for people don't want to talk about it, but you know, sometimes, and you know, they may use old rags. There's even girls that were using banana leaves. Some of them use, anything that's absorbent, but most of the time they just have to stay at home. They don't have a choice. So they can't go to school. They can't go to work. And it's about empowerment. It's not, and it's, you know, I guess the last thing I'm going to say about that, I'm, I'm, I definitely am against that. Everything we do in these countries is about sustainability. So like when we go and we repair these wells, we, we, we do a, 
do a circle around a, around a map. And we, we're going to adopt these hundred wells in this area. And as we repair them, we're training local pastors and local community leaders to continue that work once we're gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're currently in the process of training young Ugandan women to carry on that work at those schools and to continue to train. So, you know, our organization is not necessarily designed to, okay, we're going to build this. We're not going to set up camp in Uganda. We're going to go try to empower the local people there because they're capable. They're strong. They just need a few resources and just, you know, a a little bit of assistance to get them going. And then we're going to move on somewhere else. So, um, but yeah, runforwater.net and 84days.net, you can kind of go to those those sites and learn more about the organization. Um, and you know, and I'm, we're open to, we take people, people can go on the trips. I had a trip, we had to cancel it because of the coronavirus. but um, we were, we fly into Nairobi. We had 17 people. We were going to, I've got a really good friend of mine. That's a, a guide on Kilimanjaro. He's an ultra runner as well. Um, at 17 people, we were going to summit Kilimanjaro one week and then we we're going to, um, drive into Uganda and do water projects in the 84 days ministry the next week. So somebody's interested in a trip, you know, um, or even to Appalachia or to Haiti, you know, can reach out. And, uh, but our organization is small. I committed from the beginning. I didn't want anybody on the payroll. It's all volunteer basis. So, you know, all the money or pretty much all the money is going to go towards the ministry. Uh, it's got a few little managerial insurance and things like that, that we got to pay for. But, it's a relatively small organization, but it keeps it purposeful and manageable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Call to action. Call to action for everybody listening to this. If I didn't, if I didn't touch your, if I didn't strike a nerve, the stories that Greg just told, you need to assess who you are as a human. Okay. Go and check them out. Um, I'm gonna give Greg a little third-party credibility on the stories that he told because I've also spent quite a bit of time in Africa. And um, you talk about run for water. I can remember for over a month in Nigeria training their most elite special forces units to go and fight a group called Boko Haram. And... These guys were, were the, the best that they could muster. So, obviously, they took the best care of these, this group that we were training that they possibly could, the Nigerian you know, government. So, they had the best resources that, that could be offered there. I remember these guys would get one Ziploc bag of water per day. That was all that they could muster to give the best of the best was one Ziploc bag of clean water per day. And we were out training in 120-degree heat and humidity, working hard. I'm talking close-quarters combat. I'm talking land warfare. I'm talking getting after it. And that's what these guys survived on each and every day, and this was the best of the best. And I cannot even imagine with the local people there in Lagos or there in Abuja were, were having to survive off of when the best of the best were getting one Ziploc bag of clean water per day. There you go. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. And then you talk about 84 days. These places that Greg is going to, Uganda, Uganda's very, in my opinion, I've been to Uganda too. It's very similar to Nigeria, very similar to a lot of Africa. There is no law and order. There, it does not exist. And, you know, you, Greg talks about training these, these women to take care of themselves. Look, when things happen to these women, when these women get attacked, they have to know how to take care of themselves because they can't call 911. They can't go after the fact, after it happens, they can't go and file a lawsuit or file a restraining order against somebody in their freaking village or in their community. That doesn't exist, okay? The work that he's doing is so important. And the fact that he's not going there just to hold them hands, hold their hands and to throw money at these issues. Greg is going there with his teams to empower them to he he's the teacher while he's there, but he's he's creating other teachers. That 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 is that is the mission. He's he's empowering. He's creating other teachers. He's creating this this thing that will eventually become self-sustaining that will create a eternal impact because now it can be passed through generations. Eternal impact, okay? He's not just throwing money at a problem. That never fixed anything. Right? Never fixed anything. So call to action. Go check them out, man. That is just unbelievable, the work you're doing. And maybe, maybe I'm so passionate about it because I've seen it firsthand. Right. Um, maybe that maybe that's what it is. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe people think I'm crazy. I don't care. I've seen it firsthand, mm-hmm. and I want to give you that, that third-party credibility that the stories that you are telling are 100% true and accurate. 100%. appreciate that. So... Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, 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 I think about that often, just, the you know, the experiences that we've had, to, that we've had there, um, you know, it, it definitely, it definitely is impactful, you know, when you see those children and those girls and, and, um, you know, uh, one last ministry that we have there, it's kind of, it's a little bit out of our wheelhouse, but we, we repaired a well in a leper colony. A lot of people don't realize that leprosy is still in our world. It's, it's curable today. It's a, but there's a leper hospital in Uganda and because leprosy still has that stigma of, you know, it's contagious and you're just, you're filthy and, you know, nobody wants to be around. If someone gets leprosy in Uganda, they're sent to the leper hospital, but once they're cured and once they, you know, are treated, they're not welcome back in their own community. And the leper hospital, once the leper hospital uh, treats their leprosy and they're, they're cured, they can't stay there anymore. So, and, and most of them don't catch the leprosy soon enough and it's already, you know, damaged their feet. They're missing their toes. They have major nerve damage. They can't feel the bottom of their feet. And so there's these squatter villages right outside of the leper hospital because they're kicked out of the hospital and they just, they don't have no, they don't have anywhere to go. And so there's leper communities that welcome them there. We repaired a well 
at this leper community. And, and I, you know, I just wanted to see, well, what else could we do and how could we help these people? So we had this little community meeting with about probably 40 or 50 um, individuals that had leprosy and, and most of them were missing fingers and almost all of them were missing toes. Some of them just had nubs for legs. Um, and two, they had two requests. One of them was it went, well, actually their first request is like, can you, can you educate us so that we can provide for ourselves? <laughs> it's like, you know, and I, for the first time I was like, I've done a lot of ministry in the United States. I usually don't get that. Usually if, if I go to Appalachia or I'll do something, we'll do a homeless ministry in downtown Nashville. Um, and, and, you know, and I still think we need to serve right here. Definitely. Agreed. That's yeah. important. Um, but generally the request is I need food or I need money. They don't want education. These lepers that are missing limbs of their feet, they literally crawl to get to their house, <laughs> you know, and they're asking, can you teach us how to raise chickens? Can you teach us how to build, make a garden so that we can provide for ourselves? Uh, the next question that needed they had was um, shoes. They didn't have proper footwear. And, and that's generally what kills most of these individuals. They can't feel the bottom of their feet. So they get a cut on the bottom of their feet. They can't feel it. It doesn't hurt. They don't feel the pain. So they die. They get an infection. Mm-hmm. And that's generally what, and, the, and just the, because they don't have good blood flow or good, or their nerve endings doesn't heal properly. And it was so interesting. I looked down at my Tiva sandals with the Velcro adjustable straps. And I was like, you know, and I took the sandal off and I put it on the leper's foot because, you know, you, if, you, if you've ever looked at Tevas, you can stretch them out and you can make the straps really loose or really tight. And because of the different, the mis, the, you know, the misshapen foot with the, it, it was like, it fit perfect. Mm-hmm. Went back and back, came back home and wrote, Teva, and you know, we pronounce it Teva, but I, I do too. Yeah. Teva. But I wrote them, they sent me 70 pair. We went back the next year and did, um, and in it, we did a foot washing. So it was not symbolic. They needed their foot wash and, and lotion and then fitted these Teva sandals on the leper's feet. The, set, the last request they had was like, could you, could we get some solar lights for our huts? They had these small mud huts with thatched roofs. And I was thinking, well, you know, I, yeah, that's a reasonable request. I don't really have windows. It's dark at night. And so I bought these three and a half dollar cheap solar lights. It's you just, they're super cheap, you know, and I went back the next time and we're out distributing them. And, um, and the leaders just like, you know, this is, this is wonderful. Now that the, now that we have these lights, the rats will not eat our flesh at night. And I'm like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? And, and they showed me some of the lepers because they can't feel their feet. Mm-hmm. And it's dark in their huts. I kid you not. They, the, one of their biggest problems, the rats come in and eat their flesh. And they wake up and they, they couldn't feel it. And they wake up and they have these sores mm-hmm. where the rats have eaten their flesh. Mm-hmm. And I was just, so, you know, I, I just... I'm like, kind of like what you said, you can't experience that. And I, I think I, probably the people hearing this, you've seen some of those situations. And, and you know, God created us. I tell my students that I can tell that story. We're telling that story right now, right? And that's going to be impactful to some people. 
I mean, they're going to feel that in their heart or or at least would hope that they would. Right. Yeah. I could show you pictures. I could show you pictures of Ruth, uh, you know, and, and Joseph, these lepers that I've shared life with that I can consider dear friends. I could show you pictures and that's going to be more impactful. But when, if you go and you share life and you, you're flesh to flesh, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, it's God created us. You know, we're in this technological world where, you know, we're, we communicate through email and text and this is great. We can do this zoom and, you know, but none of that can replace just truly sharing life with people that are hurting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, that's what we're created to do in my humble opinion is to is to to be that vessel of love and grace and hope uh to individuals Mm. (sighs) love it brother no words man no words um all right i know you're not a big social media guy where can people find you and follow you great strong (laughs) I, because of you, I don't know if it's you or Jesse. I think I've had, I, it's probably been 500 Instagram requests in the last 48 hours. I haven't made an Instagram post in five years. Like, you know, and yeah. so I, I, I'm still, it took me, took me about 12 hours to figure out how to get a message. Like I do Facebook some, mm-hmm. so you can find me on Facebook, but I'm trying to trying to get up my Instagram game just a little bit. My daughters, maybe they can teach me a little bit about how to do that. Um, but yeah, the you know run the website. You know, there's a you know, if somebody wants to you can get you can get my email. I've I've got an email there on my website. If somebody wants to reach out and learn more about the organization. And you know, I I'm not one of those. I leave the, the fundraising up to the Lord. You know, and I. And, and we've been blessed. I just like to tell the story and, and, and kind of like the theme of this whole, whole podcast is, you know, this is what I'm doing. You know, you, you're, 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 Chad's on, you're on your path. You know, I just want to use this hopefully as an inspiration for people to find their path. Mm-hmm. And if that overlaps with what I'm doing or with what Chad's doing and we can, and if I can facilitate that and, and maybe help you, that's how it works. I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in trying to get as many people under my umbrella of my ministry because that's not how true exponential growth of the kingdom takes place. I just want to encourage people to, to maybe to go out and, you know, you find your own passion so that you can serve and you can minister. So man, reach out. If I can help you with that, if somebody wants to go on a trip, That'd be great. We have some really neat programs with the 84 days, like with churches or schools. If we want to get a group of girls and they want to pack kits and pray over those kits and write, the girls love the, the personalized notes. Like, you know, I try to, every kit we have, I try to get a one-to-one relationship where we'll take a picture of a young teenage girl or a woman and they write them a prayer or a note and they take a Polaroid picture and we put that in that kit. So we've got some opportunities to do things like that. If you wanted to do that at your church or something, we might facilitate that. But um, again, you know, reach out, Facebook. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm working on my Instagram game and then um, email would be the best way. Perfect, man. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll attach Greg's uh, Instagram handle and Facebook in the show notes of this episode. Um, hopefully he'll 
start posting a little bit more for all of us. <laughs> so, so we can learn more from him on a regular basis. And, you know, like Greg said, uh, he talked about his mission was not to try to get as many people under his umbrella as possible. And I think that, that it goes back to something I'm passionate about. It, it's uh, whenever I take people out on a mission or on a trip or I spend one-on-one time with someone that, that, that has asked for uh, mentorship or, or, or whatever it may be, the, the last thing that I always leave them with is now you are the teacher. Any, any one of those people, you have, you have to, to make that person realize that at the end, at the end, I have nothing left to give you. I've given you everything that I possibly can, and now you are the teacher, and you have to be that teacher. You have to find your own lane, and you mm-hmm. have to be that teacher within your own lane to ever become the master. You can't step, you can't skip that step. You can't just gorge yourself with awesome experiences and knowledge and learning. And and you can't just gorge yourself on all of that and think that you're going to be fulfilled or think that you're ever going to reach your maximum potential. See, you have to become the teacher in order to ever achieve mastery within your lane, within your passion, whatever it may be. So I think you and I have a like a, a very similar passion, Greg, of, of creating teachers, and that empowering is the word that really sums it up for me, and that's where I find the most fulfillment and the most value in my own mission is uh, when I can see an individual empowered, um, and they take whatever I have, um, whatever has resonated with them uh, from – from my experiences and they take it and they go and become the teacher and find their own lane. Amazing brother. Amazing. Um, I'm going to close us out in prayer, brother. You have blessed me. I want to bless you. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up from there. All right. Thank you. So heavenly father, Lord Jesus, we bless your name. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for setting the ultimate example for us to follow as, as humans, as your servants, Um, Lord Jesus, I pray for my brother Greg that you would bless everything that he puts his hands to, Father, that you would anoint him with the Holy Spirit, that you would give him wisdom and guidance and knowledge, Father, that you would help him in all that he does, that you would lift him up and his family, that you would build a hedge around them, that you would deliver them from all evil, and that you would strengthen them in all aspects of their body, their soul, and their spirit. Lord Jesus, we glorify you. We praise you, we thank you, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first and teaching us how to love one another. Jesus Christ, it's in your mighty name that we pray and ask and believe and receive all of these things. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Love you, Brother Greg. Love you, brother. This is the 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said.